Canine Cast number 56 is brought to you by Home Again Pet Recovery Service and ID Microchips on the web at homeagainpets.com. It's the Canine Cast with Tara and Walter. Hi, welcome back to the Canine Cast. This is Tara. And hello, everyone. This is Walter with your Canine Cast recap. In case you missed the last Canine Cast, Canine Cast number 55. We had an in-depth discussion about Greenies dog treats. Plus, we had a listener story about a car accident where they had their dog in the car. And we had more help on preventing your dog from getting lost. Thanks, Walter. Today, we have a few things that we're going to cover. Um, First, we're going to start with some comments from our listening audience. And with that, there were some comments that were sent in actually about the, the dog that was in the accident is now anxious in the car about dog beds about a another kind of tough toy and i have to say we've gotten lots of comments about different types of toys that were out there that we were totally unaware of so that's really great and keep those coming into us because we love being able to share toys that other people's dogs have really really enjoyed and maybe even the people too but we'll keep we'll keep the focus on dogs with that then we also have a news story for you and a listener question about dog behavior so to uh, kind of take it away and get started here, uh, we have a comment from Cheryl. She actually left this on the website, but it was a, but it was a kind of a neat bit of, of information, so we wanted to share it with all of our listeners. She says, I wanted to leave a bit of advice for the listener with the dog that gets anxious when it's time to get in the car. I have a cat that doesn't like the car and continually gets car sick. I bought a product called Fellaway for her. I think it's pronounced that way. Fellaway or Feelaway. And you spray the product in the kennel or area to calm the cat using a natural pheromone. I have tried everything with her from prescription drugs to acupuncture and nothing worked until we tried the feel-away. She still gets nervous, but her anxiety has been reduced by about 50%. They make a product for dogs as well, but on the website, I only saw a plug-in for the house similar to the plug-in air fresheners that they make now. I just wanted to add this tidbit. And thank you so much, Cheryl, for adding that tidbit. And we've linked to the website in question in the show notes and in the Enhanced Podcast as well. Yes, that, that we did. Now, what Cheryl had brought up um, was is actually a product for a cat. And you know, as she brought up, they have one for the dog, but that's for inside the house. They do actually make um, products that, well, one of them, I believe, is actually called DAP, standing for Dog Appeasing Pheromone. But you can ask your vet for something along those lines, some type of a product that contains dog-appeasing pheromones. And, um, and in, our, in our last show, we had talked about, um, you know, maybe talking to the vet about, about drugs, but I actually forgot to bring up the pheromones as well. We haven't had um, experience with those ourselves, um, simply because our dogs have never been quite that anxious about something where it was necessary. But, um, but we do know a number of people have used uh, pheromones, and I think we may have even talked about um, rescue remedy and that kind of thing. But I, but I highly suggest anybody who's interested in using this kind of, of a thing with a dog that's very, very anxious to talk to your vet, because a lot of times they can give you suggestions for, in this case, a dog-appeasing pheromone that other clients have used. And essentially what it, what it does is it's just a pheromone that's going to calm the dog down I've, I've read that the reason why is because it's a pheromone similar to what the mother dog releases when the puppies are nursing. Um, it, it could theoretically be a number of different things, but in, it, but in any case, uh, it's supposed to help a lot, 
And so, you know, here we have somebody who's had apparently great success with her cat with it. So if it helps with your dog as well, then that would be wonderful. And we would love to hear about that also. So thank you very much, Cheryl, for writing in and bringing that up because we didn't really touch on that last time. Next, we have an email about dog beds. And this one is from Robert. Robert writes, I was just listening to Canine Cast number 55 and got to the listener pictures part where you mentioned Tallulah and her new bed. New beds reminded me about kennel training Dottie and then later Wrigley. Dottie was never very eager about going into her kennel. We assumed it was because she wasn't used to it. We got her from a local shelter, so we didn't know what she was used to. Over time, we noticed that she snuggled with us. She liked to be almost completely surrounded by something people's legs and the back of the couch, for example. Noticing this, we decided to get her a donut bed. She loved her new bed, and got very good about going into her kennel. She even eventually could tell that when I came downstairs in my shoes, which I only did when it was time to go to work, that it was time to get off the couch, her preferred resting place, and go into her kennel without being told. When we got Wrigley, we planned on getting him a donut bed also. Until it arrived, we ordered it online, He wasn't very eager to get into his kennel. His previous owners had had the same problem. When the bed arrived, he began to go into his kennel and take naps without even being told to do so. Donut beds are a bit expensive, $80 to $100, but they are well worth the cost. Robert, Laura, Dottie, and Wrigley. Thanks so much for writing in about that, Robert. Now, of course, this this is uh, Dottie and Wrigley, uh, Wrigley of the Kong terminating fame. So, um, but it's, but it's really neat to hear about, um, about this with them as well. Now, when, when Robert's talking about donut beds, essentially what he's talking about are there, uh, a dog bed where there's a flattish surface on, on the inside, which of, of course is cushioned, but, um, but the, but the point is that it's somewhat flat so that on the sides, there's like a big roll around it almost so that it's almost like, it's almost like a donut on top of the flat surface. And that's what co- the dogs can kind of snuggle up against and it kind of, uh, hugs them a little bit. So that, so that's something that a, do- a lot of dogs do like. Um, and that could just come from, you know, them, them liking to be in the den, being ki- in the dens, they basically just build those that um, are big enough to hold the the wolf itself in the wild. So so that may be part of why, you know, we notice dogs do like to always be, you know, touching things and curled up against things and so on and so forth. So these beds basically just, you know, take take that to um, take that and use it to make the dogs comfortable. And so this is this is a great idea. I think actually in um, in talking about kennel training I, I've mentioned, you know, making it a very appealing place, but I don't think we've actually got in, into, you know, the different types of crate beds and such that are out there. Um, so we do highly recommend that you have a crate bed in there. It makes it much more comfortable for the dog. Different dogs like different things, but this would be a great type of bed to try for your dog, um, especially if they, you know, if they don't like going in their crate as it is. Now, our our crate bed that we use actually is, it's it's almost like a donut bed. the The roll isn't real, real big. It's much smaller than in a lot of beds that are actually called donut beds. But they they like to do the same thing where they just kind of curl up against the roll or each other. They like to be in the crate together. Um, so it's the same kind of thing where they just like to have something to snuggle up against. So that's something else that for those of you who are trying to kennel train your dogs, um, especially if you're having difficulty doing so, 
this would be a great, great tip that Robert sent in to possibly help you do that as well. So thank you so much for writing in about that, Robert. Now, our next tip is about a dog toy. This is one that I think is really, really neat. Um, We hadn't heard about it before, but I'm really glad that we have, and I'm kind of wanting to to run out and get one for our dogs and see what they think of it too, uh, because it's a toy that's kind of similar to a Kong, and our dogs absolutely love their Kong. So Daryl sent that in, and now we'll go ahead and read what he says so he can describe it to you. Daryl writes, We did find a new tough chew toy called Squirrel Dude. It has teeth that holds the treats inside so they don't fall out when the dog chews or rolls or drops a toy. Unlike the Kong, where they can fall out easily unless you jam them in. My dog Kuma loves his because I don't have to stuff peanut butter in it to hold the small treats in. He likes peanut butter, but he can't get it all out and it drives him nuts trying. Thanks, Daryl. Thanks for writing in about that, Daryl. Sounds like you sounds like you may be a little bit nicer to Kuma than we are to our dogs. When we find a toy that actually drives drives them nuts trying to get treats out or whatever, we just kind of sit around and laugh at them as we watch. But um, but actually, I like the idea of this because it sounds like it may be a, a lot easier to just kind of throw the treats in there and give it to the dog. I don't know how many times I've I've stuffed my Kong and I didn't get it stuffed quite tight enough, and then the treats kind of fell out, which the dogs love that part, but it kind of defeats the purpose of having them hunt by trying to get it out of the toy. So we thought that this toy was kind of neat, um, and we have the link to it, so you'll get a chance to see it by clicking on the link either in the Enhanced Podcast or by going to the website. So we checked it out. It's kind of cute. It looks like it has a little squirrel on it, and um, they have it in purple which they say is for medium chewers so i believe that's probably about similar to what a red kong would be and they also have some other toys that do that do other different things some other tough durable toys and some of those are in black but i only saw the squirrel dude in the purple so for so for those of you who may be interested in it you know keep in mind that it's probably appropriate for dogs who um, would you know would enjoy a red kong without tearing it apart So I want to thank all of our listeners so much for sending in all of these tips and tidbits and things and sharing them with everybody as well as us. So I know that we're probably going to be getting our dogs some new dog toys as well from from this. Now, the next thing that I wanted to share with you guys tonight was it was a news story that we got in that we just thought was was really, really nice. Um, This came from the, uh, the American Forces Press Service. And what it's about, the the headline is New Jersey to get a war dog memorial. Now, this would be the first memorial of its kind. And the point of it is to honor the the dogs who have served in wartime and also, you know, their handlers that they've worked with during this time. And it's, it's really, really a neat story. We'll have the link for you so you can read the whole news article. But it talks a little bit about the dogs and the handlers and some of the changes that have taken place recently um, with with the dogs and that are used in the military and and these dogs are are very very highly trained their handlers basically consider them to be you know soldiers you know just as well as you know as I'm certain I haven't seen them in action myself but I'm certain that they absolutely are um, just amazing amazing animals that do that do all of this work now the the people who are responsible for basically you know getting this movement underway and working on getting this war dog memorial 
is the um, the United States War Dogs Association. They have some quotes here from uh, from Ron. I think I think his last name is pronounced Aiello. Um, he's the president of the United States War Dogs Association. They say that he was a former Marine scout dog handler and he served in Vietnam with his dog. And he goes on to talk about how, you know, how he grew up with dogs and he had dogs, but it was in working with his dog in, in wartime that he, that he really, really um, had and just an amazing lifetime long bond with this dog. And, you know, that, that drove him to work with this organization to try to get the dogs to be honored as well. So um, the association is made up of current and former military dog handlers. They, in, in addition to you know, the memorial, they want to do um, many things to educate the public about the services that the, that the dogs provide, um, the, the dogs who work in the armed services. So it's really, really neat. They say that their ultimate kind of their their um their ultimate honor for the nation's war dogs would be to uh to get a memorial built in washington dc as well but that that's a you know a long-term project so right now what they do is they work in various ways like they're petitioning to have the u.s postal service have a commemorative stamp for military working dogs um and also they work with a retirement program with the military canines now so that when one of these dogs is too old to work it can be retired and put into an adoption program and then there um, thus far have been a number of the dogs that have gone um, out to families and been adopted um, the program was authorized actually fairly recently just back in 2000 um, you know, by congress put in by president clinton so it's, it's still something that's fairly new but it's really really neat and then and then also um, President Bush signed a bill in December that allows military working dogs to retire early to be adopted by their handlers. Um, the, the article says following an injury. They don't make it apparent as to whether the injury is to the dog or the, the handler, although it seems that it would be um, the handler probably because otherwise it probably wouldn't be an early retirement for the dog. But um, just some, some different things that, that they're doing, which is kind of neat. I had no idea that an organization like that existed, but it's it's really, really neat. And just, you know, kind of goes to show the, the very, very strong, amazing bond between people and dogs and how, you know, incredibly crucial dogs can be in people's lives and the really, really amazing, great things that they do. Plus, um, like I said, this War Dog Memorial will be the first of its kind. This group has raised most of the money for it, and so that'll be something neat for for us to uh, go check out in the future. So, um, so we really enjoyed that article. We'll have the link for you in the show notes and also in the Enhanced Podcast in case you would like to check that out for yourself. And then, next up, we have a question from a listener. Actually, it's kind of a couple of questions about some doggy behavior. This comes from Jason in Australia. Jason writes, Hi guys, I live in Sydney, Australia, and I'd be really grateful for any assistance you can offer with this one. I have two golden Labradors. One is a five-year-old male and the other a 20-month-old female. The older lab, Toby, is a generally placid dog, though sometimes led astray by the younger one. The younger lab, Bella, needs some real training, but here's something... She came to us professionally trained. 
I think it really requires the owner to be the trainer, so they can continue with the instruction. Anyway, Bella's problems are, she gets overexcited and jumps up on people. If we pick up a ball, she'll run at you and place her paws on your legs or back. She's trying to tell us, I think, that she is in charge of us, which is simply not on. She also has a desire to dig, though this is rare. The older boy tends to dig holes as well. And finally, she wants to drag you along when going for walks. We've just laid new turf and we don't want it to be ruined by them. Any tips on how we can correct these behaviors? Thanks again, Jason. Hi, Jason. Uh, well, we, first of all, I have to say that I'm very partial to the name of your older lab. <laughs> You're not the only one. Toby's <laughs> over here walking around strutting his stuff. Yeah, that, that he is. Or, or just, you know, laying on Walter's lap, whichever. Um, but uh, I think you hit the nail right on the head there when you, when you talked about um, how it requires the owner to be the trainer for dogs. Um, because there, there are a number of people out there who will professionally train dogs and then, ha- and then hand them over to the owner. And basically there are, there are some dogs for whom the training will kind of carry over somewhat. But in most cases, what it takes in order for that kind of a thing to be successful is for, at the very least, for the owners to work with the professional trainers so that the professional trainer can kind of show them how to interact with the dog using the training and also to help the dog kind of see, okay, well, I do these things for this person, this person being the professional trainer. Now I'm going to go do things for, you know, mom or dad, too. So it, so it, does, it does take some work on the part of the owner, regardless of if they're just, you know, starting from scratch with a dog that's never been trained at all, or if they're working with a dog that was professionally trained. So, um, so I think you're probably experiencing, you know, a little, a little bit of that. Um, and further, dogs are just really good at figuring out um, what they can do with different types of people. So a dog that is good as gold with one person may decide that, okay, I think I can get away with these other things with this person and just kind of act out a little bit. Um, so just, just, you know, some interesting things about, about dogs and, and training. One thing that that people always say is that dogs don't generalize, which means that things that apply to one situation don't necessarily apply to another situation with them. And so working with different trainers, that's absolutely um, true as well, or at least it can be. So to to go through the different things that you listed with with Bella and uh, and the digging, which sounds like that's a little bit of Toby as well, um, with with Bella getting excited and jumping up on people, that's so very, very common, uh, especially in young dogs. So what, what I recommend that you do is to teach her a different, better behavior. And you specifically talk about if she picks up a ball that she'll run at you and put her paws on you. Now, so far as whether she's trying to, you know, be, you know, be dominant or be in, in charge of you, I, I mean, I can't, I can't really tell just from the description, it would have to be something that uh, that I would see, but that that could be the case. However, if you teach her another better behavior, then that will that will kind of help you to turn it around a little bit more. So that in a very non-confrontational way, you're teaching her that you know, no, you're the dominant one, and you know, if she wants to say play with the ball, then you know, she'll do so on your terms. Um, normally, the behavior that I recommend in this situation is to teach the dog to sit. When this is going on, and now if you have if you have a ball, 
in your hand already, then that'll be great because you can use that as a motivator. If she already knows sit, then you can just tell her to sit and she'll she'll sit. And if she if she um, if you do that enough times and you praise her, of course, when she does sit, so she knows that it's the right thing. Eventually, she'll understand. Oh, okay. Well, when they pick up the ball, I should sit because then they'll pet me or throw the ball or whatever it is that she's looking for. Now, if she doesn't sit right away, if she just goes and puts her paws on you or is um, running in circles or whatever, then go ahead and use that ball as a mode as well, actually, in this case, kind of a lure to lure her back into the sit. And we've gone over that before in canine cast. But essentially, what you'll do is just kind of stick it in front of her nose and try to draw a stripe down her head. The idea being that if her nose is pointed up for long enough, eventually then her tush will probably go down. So that will be a way to lure her into the sit if she doesn't just automatically do it. Now, even if she knows the sit and she's really, really good at it, you may have to try it a couple of times to get her, you know, to get her to do it because it'll be a little bit of a change in mindset with her. However, if you find that that's the case, just remember you're going to only want to give her the command, only say sit once, and then before she gets any any praise or further talking to her, the ball thrown or, or so on, um, you want her to actually get in that sit. It may take a little while, but just try to refrain from repeating the command sit, sit, sit over and over. Otherwise, she'll just learn that she can, you know, ignore it until she feels like sitting. Um, that's, but that's what I would recommend to do with this particular situation um, because if essentially what we're doing is we're redirecting the behavior. We're giving her something to do that will not, um, where, where if she, in order to do the one behavior, she can't do the other behavior. So in other words, she can't be sitting and have her paws on you at the same time unless she's sitting pretty, but that's something totally different. Um, so just go ahead and get her to sit and her paws will be off you and then you guys can play ball and everybody's happy and that's wonderful. Now, for the next thing, you talk about her wanting to dig. Um, you say that it's rare for her, however, Toby, your older one, digs holes. Now, with digging, that's actually, a lot of people call it a problem behavior, but an important thing to keep in mind is that with dogs, it's actually a normal behavior that shows itself to a, a larger or smaller extent, depending on you know the dogs and um, you know the breed that the dog is and so on and so forth. But if you have a dog that likes to dig, that's going to be a very, very difficult behavior to get the dog to stop completely. And there are, I mean, if you look on the web, you'll see a number of suggestions for, you know, how to get your dog to stop digging. Well, and some of them go from, you know, just plain strange to, you know, to not very nice and so on and so forth. What I recommend for something, for something like digging behavior uh, where it will, where it's actually a normal behavior, it'll be very difficult to completely stop. Is instead to redirect it so that your dog can actually do the digging behavior, but can do it in a positive way that's okay. And the way that I recommend doing this is to figure out some place in your yard where it will be okay for the dog to dig. I, essentially, you know, give your dog its own doggy sandbox, because otherwise, what'll happen is if you have a dog that likes to dig holes. You know, you can go you can go around to each hole and you can fill in each hole with, say, you know, rocks so that the dog can't dig in that hole. Chances are they're just going to dig another hole somewhere else. And eventually you'll have a whole bunch of holes in your yard filled with rocks. Now, as interesting landscaping as that would be, um, we'd much rather have your turf be there. So 
we recommend is pick a place in your yard, make it your dog sandbox. A great way to let your dog know that this is the dog sandbox, that it's going to be okay for the dog to dig there, is to actually dig up some earth there yourself. Because dogs tend to think that digging up loose earth is a lot of fun. Also, they may actually be digging for a number of different reasons. One very common one, especially when it's hot out, is that the dog is digging to try to get to cool dirt. Now, even if your dog is an, is an inside dog and has a dog door and can go inside whenever it wants, it still may decide that when, it's out, that when it's outside, it wants some cool dirt to lie in. Dogs that have this tendency just have this tendency. But if you have um, the dog sandbox there, if you have some earth that's been turned over, is nice and loose, then the dog can dig down to that cool dirt right away. And it will be very satisfying for the dog and very satisfying for you because the dog will be digging in the place you do want it, not in a place where you don't. Some other things you can do for the doggy sandbox are you can put some dog toys there. You can, especially if you would like to bury some dog toys there um, or some little treats that they can dig up, that will give them the idea that this particular place is okay for them to dig. Keep an eye on your dog whenever they're outside. And if you start to see them dig elsewhere, take them over to the place where they should be digging. When they, when you do see them digging in the place where they should be, in their doggy sandbox, then, then praise them. Let them know, okay, this is a good behavior. This is where I want you to dig. And eventually, they'll, they'll figure it out. They kind of tend to be very habit-oriented with this. They tend to kind of want to dig in the same place, given the chance, par- probably partially because they like that loose earth. But also, if they're, you know, burying toys and finding toys there, then that's always great fun. So they develop positive associations with it. So if you help them create that area for themselves, it'll save you a lot of headache in trying to stop the behavior altogether and also make them happy because they can they have that outlet to have a place to dig as well. Some other things to keep in mind and try to do is that a lot of dogs will dig kind of as a form of exercise or mental stimulation. So the more you can do to tire out your dog, the less your dog is going to dig. It may not stop it altogether still recommend the doggy sandbox. However, if if your dogs like to play ball, and it sounds like Bella does, then, go, then play ball with them, play frisbee with them, different games that will kind of get them running and expending a lot of energy while hopefully not, you know, completely tiring you out. And also um, you know, doing training with them, obedience training, things that will use their mind are also great to help give them that mental stimulation and may decrease their need for digging somewhat, although it may not get rid of it altogether. So that's a whole lot of digging information for you there, uh, a bunch of different things to try. So for the last thing, so far as Bella wanting to drag you along for go- when going for walks, that's always so fun. So many dogs want to do that. Um, there's, and, and there, there's, a, there's a number of theories as to why, um, begin, beginning with, you know, the dog being dominant, and so it's wanting to, you know, basically walk you and tell you where you're going to go, just to, you know, the dog having not been taught that that's not acceptable. So regardless, regardless of the reasons why a lot of what you use to, uh, to kind of work with it and fix it are the same. And in canine cast number 16, we actually go over some tips for teaching your dog to heal. And I, and I recommend that there are a few different ways to do it. Um, the, the two that I go over in there are, you know, teaching them, teaching them an actual like obedience type heal and also teaching something called controlled walking, which is where you just kind of get them to not pull on the leash. And I found that in 
getting the dog to, you know, to be controlled with you, to not drag you along, really a combination of the two is what tends to work best. And healing is doing exactly that, right? Well, healing is, is basically getting the dog to walk right by your heel. You know, there's, if, if you're going to do a formal heel, like one would do, say, in competitive obedience, technically the dog's shoulder has to be in line with the seam in your pants. But, um, you know, as for, for the purposes of what we're talking about here, just, you know, getting the dog to not, you know, dislocate your shoulder as you're going down the street, um, you know, somewhere in that general area is fine. Uh, the reason why I say that a combination of, um, of that and controlled walking works well is because um, the, the controlled walking one, you know, involves a lot of basically the dog walks ahead of you, so you turn and walk the other way. Well, you know, that that's fine, but... A lo- but sometimes it, the dog doesn't kind of understand that what's that what's going on is turning and walking the other way is, you know, say not what you want to do. They're just, oh, goody, now we'll go in this direction. And they just kind of, you know, run off again. So it could take a little while to get through. And if they've if they've kind of learned how to heal a little bit, um, doing the formal heal, it can kind of reset them and give them a frame of reference that you like it when they are close to you. So using using the two together. Um, can be pretty good, so that that way, when you you know when you when you turn around and go in the opposite direction, if they run ahead of you again, you can just kind of call them back to where they're supposed to be, put them in that position, and start over from the the right place. Now, um, I'll I'll warn you that with teaching your dog not to drag you, different dogs pick it up at um, different speeds. However, it tends to be one of the behaviors that takes the longest to teach a dog. And it tends to be one of those behaviors that you'll want to do with the fewest distractions possible at the beginning. But when you when you get new distractions, the dog may just act like it never, ever, you know, understood how it was supposed to walk on the leash to begin with. So if that happens and you experience setbacks, don't be don't be put off by it. You're just going to want to keep keep working with it and you'll you'll work with it over, you know, long, long amounts of time. Um, with, with us still, I mean, our dogs, we, we walk them every single day. Um, I mean, at this, at this point, that's how they go out cause, because we don't happen to have a yard at the moment. And they have gotten much, much better with it as we've worked with them. Um, now, Kyler is much less likely to run after a squirrel as hard as she used to be. However, um, an uncommon distraction that we come across is other dogs. And she just loves other dogs. So at this point, she's great until she sees another dog and then she acts like, you know, this healing stuff is just, you know, not something she was ever aware existed. So just know that that'll happen. It just takes time. You, you keep working through it. And what's important is that it can get frustrating. So don't allow yourself to become frustrated. If you become frustrated with your dog, then it's probably a good idea to kind of end the walk early, go back and try again. So that, so that hopefully helps you with some of these, um, behaviors that you're trying to work with with Bella and Toby. Thanks so much for writing in and best of luck with keeping your new turf intact and very pretty. So now we're going to take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. A dog's got to do what a dog's got to do. Hey, I should know. I'm a dog. Wolf. And what I got to do is chase squirrels, especially the one digging holes in my yard. Someday soon I'll get free and chase that lawn wrecker right out of town. You don't think your dog will run away. 
Your dog might think differently. One in three pets will get lost. Without ID, 90% won't return home. That's why vets recommend the Home Again Microchip, a safe, permanent ID that can bring your pet home. Talk to your vet about Home Again and visit homeagainpets.com. And thanks to our sponsor, Home Again. And now it's time for listener pictures. This picture came in from Kim, and she says, This is Abby. She's a one-year-old American bulldog who I enjoy training in agility with the hope to compete in shows with the USDAA, the United States Dog Agility Association, once we are finished training. I am 14 years old and would be competing as a junior. I adopted this girl from the shelter at three months and couldn't imagine life without her. Aw, thanks, Kim. Yeah, thanks so much for sending that in. And best of luck with working with her in agility, too. That can be a lot of fun and is a great bonding experience between the dog and um, the, and the dog's handler. And I like I like this picture of Abby. She looks like she's getting ready to take herself for a walk, chewing on her lead like that. So thanks, everybody, once again for joining us. And, and also, right now, for being so patient with us as we get our schedule back under control. Walter's work schedule got a little bit out of hand last week for us, and then he ended up having to go on a trip this weekend. So uh, it's... and. I can't really do the show without my trusty sidekick here, but we're so happy to you know to be back bringing the show to you. And we're gonna we're working on some ideas to help us be able to do the shows regularly in case this kind of thing happens again. It's it's a challenge that we hadn't really been faced with before, so it's kind of different for us. But um, we really really appreciate all of you out there listening to us, joining us you know, this time and every other time. Can't wait to bring you the next canine cast. Until then, please remember to spay or new to your dog. It's the best thing you can do for your furry friend. If you have a question for Tara or a comment about canine cast, please send an email to caninecast at gmail.com. Or you can leave a voicemail at 206-338-DOGS. And you can leave a comment on our website at caninecast.com.